Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to another episode of Concerts That Made Us. I'm your host Brian and before we get into it, find us and follow us on social media. Just search for Concerts That Made Us podcast. Rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps the show grow. Subscribe on YouTube and your favourite podcast player of choice. And sure while you're at it, tell a friend. You know, if you have any friends that like music and podcasts, put the two together. Recommend this one. Help the show grow, you know what I mean? And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by signing up at patreon.com forward slash concerts that made us. Now I've bored you guys long enough with that stuff, so let's get on to this week's episode. My guest is David Austin, a fantastic singer-songwriter from San Francisco. We have a great chat about his career and gigs he's played, and somehow end up on the topic of Irish history. But it's a great chat that I know you're going to love. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Silver Lake Sunday, no food in the house. I drove my car to sunset. Needed something to put in my mouth And I had to step over The junkies that lay on the ground The lady behind the counter Said, Kali, I'm sorry, we're out Now the lounge wasn't open But T-Roy stood outside And he gave me a funeral speech And wiped the tear from his eye He said, kid, I'll your feet if you can get your friends inside so I can start the long recovery from the loss I took last night but it's alright cause I'm in California tonight I said my goodbyes they said we hope your traffic is light you can come back you can come back anytime that you want If you should want Yeah, yeah uh. I'm traveling around And living out of my car Piled out with suitcases And two or three guitars It'll do for the day till I find the couch I can sleep on oh. Or even better, a heather and a sweater to hold me in her arm And it's alright Cause I'm in California tonight I said my goodbyes They said we hope your traffic is light 
Concerts that made us. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you. I'm glad to have you. So the listeners just heard Silver Lake Sundays. Would you like to tell them a bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. I um I wrote that one about probably three years ago, and I was basically crashing in Silver Lake, California, which is a little neighborhood of Los Angeles. And, um, I was staying on my friend's couch basically and kind of couch surfing around Los Angeles and playing gigs and stuff. And I just wrote it about kind of chasing a dream and, and being in California, which can be awesome. And like, we were just talking about like weather wise, it's pretty unbeatable, but like, there are a lot of downsides to also to being in, you know, Los Angeles and, um, you know, chasing the dream. And there's definitely kind of a, a grungy side to it. And, a and, uh, so I kind of wrote it about that, about this, like two sides of the coin of doing what you love, but also kind of struggling to do it at the same time. And, um, it's kind of a happy song. It's kind of an upbeat song and it's kind of been one of the favorites of people. Um, you know, when we play live shows and stuff, people really gravitate towards it. We, we generally close the show with it. It's a good encore. Yeah, it's a it's a great song, as you said. It's upbeat. It kind of puts you in a good mood. That's one thing I've noticed about your your music. It's very. It puts you in a good mood. You know, even 
your slower songs, it kind of puts you in a good mood. I found myself when I finish work, I throw on your songs and they're the type of songs where you could just sit back, you know, and get lost in the lyrics. And mm. before you know it, you're after reaching home already, you know. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I, I guess that's kind of what I what I intend. You know, I, I like music that's like really listenable. Um and just sounds good. You know, it's not too abrasive. It's not too niche where it's like only one specific type of person is going to like it. I, I, I think that's generally the type of music that I listen to also, you know? Yeah. yeah you're, you're definitely doing that anyway. Cause it's very, uh, it's very palatable. It surely appeals to a wide range of people. Cause I've had guests on there where, uh, they're obviously great, but, you'd have to be in the mood to listen to their music, you know, or if it's something really yeah. heavy, you know, you're not going to throw on that the minute you get up in the morning or you have to be <laughs> in the, the right mind frame to listen to it. But as I said, yours, it just, you could listen to it at any time of the day, any, any mood. Thank you. So I was, I was thinking to introduce my listeners to you. We'll go through, we'll go through your history a bit. So it's probably a tough one to throw at you off the bat now, but can you remember your very first musical memory? I think I can actually. Uh, and I think about it sometimes, but um, when we were kids, I have two brothers. <clears throat> we had a babysitter. We were like, probably like two, three, four. And um, she would play that song Deo by Harry Belafonte. You know that one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so she would play that and for some reason we would grab like if there was a bunch of bananas in the uh in in the kitchen we would grab them and put them on our heads and, like <laughs> run around the kitchen listening to that song so i kind of think that that's the first memory and then i also remember we had a babysitter probably the same one when we were super young that song 500 miles by the proclaimers yeah she would always play that and i remember going to i think it was tower records in san francisco and buying the cd that that song was on and uh she bought it and then we listened to it <laughs> i think those are kind of the first the first musical memories that i have yeah yeah, yeah. and um you've been performing from a very young age what was it that got you interested in music what was the was there a singer you heard that made you think that's what I want to do I want to go into that line of work I think I really started getting excited about like performing in middle school um and yeah it was classic rock stuff that I was really into um ACDC Guns N' Roses I would go on YouTube and just watch hours of footage of these band of these like 70s and 80s classic rock bands playing and kind of just dream about it about doing that myself so yeah axel rose i was obsessed with him <laughs> i thought he, he was he was insane <laughs> which he is um and yeah that's kind of where it started up and um there was a good music program at the school that i went to at the middle school that i went to that really encouraged like contemporary music and pop music and it wasn't just like you know learning classical songs on piano and doing chorus and stuff it was like learning real rock history um so that's kind of where it all started i think yeah yeah 
Geez, that would have been, that sounds like it was amazing to have that at your school. Not many schools, especially over here, not many schools would have that. And I remember we had music class in primary school over here, which is like, I think, say five to 12 years of age. Mm -hmm. But it was, you had a choice of picking a flute or a recorder. And you had to learn how to play that. And it was like Mary had a little lamb stuff. You know, there was, there was definitely no ACDC or Guns N' Roses, nothing contemporary anyway. So it's great yeah. that you actually had that growing up. What even is the difference between a flute and a recorder? <laughs> You've got me there. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I always thought they were just like the same thing, different names for it. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, I lucked out. It, 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 was, a, it was a very... Uh, progressive school in in Marin County, California, just San Francisco suburb. So, yeah, they and they had a couple of music teachers that were really like just cool, cool mm. guys that that pushed all of that. So, yeah, San Francisco must have been a, a great place for to grow up for music, though, because it has that great history from the sixties and seventies. It seems like it'd be a yeah. very progressive when it comes to music and a great place if you want to be a musician a great place to grow up in yeah it was um it was fantastic like it was uh it was great it was all the hippies basically from the late 60s um you know moved to marin county after doing their thing in san francisco and it was like the grateful dead and journey and um uh you know, Santana lives out there now. And yeah, it's, it's a great, it's kind of been, it's changed a little bit because um, it's gotten so expensive to live there. Yeah. Um, you know, in the past 10, 15 years with all the tech companies and Silicon Valley and stuff. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's still a great place. There's so much culture there. There's so mm -hmm. much. Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine. I've actually heard all the way over in Ireland here, I've heard that San Francisco is the most expensive place to live in America. So yeah, I uh, think San Francisco and, and New York city. Yeah. 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 Well, believe it. You yeah. don't live there anymore though. You're out in Tennessee. Am I right? I am. Yeah. Nashville. What, uh, what made you move there? It was obviously the music, was it? Well, yeah, it was mostly, um, you know, COVID hit in uh, LA and like I was playing shows basically all the time down there and everything shut down. There were basically no musical opportunities out mm. there for a long time. And I basically, I met a guy in, in San Francisco who had some really good connections out here in Nashville and uh, his brother actually owns a studio here. So I had been thinking about it before, but then kind of when the pandemic hit and everything shut down in California, it made it a lot easier and it, it, it made a lot more sense. I was thinking musically out here, there's a bit more singer songwriter stuff going on than what I found in, in LA. And, um, so that's, that's kind of what I do. So it's, it's been, it makes sense kind of yeah. as a move. Yeah. It was the right fit. So, um, mm -hmm. how would you compare it? Tennessee, well, Nashville to LA. Have you had a chance to play gigs out in Nashville yet? Has COVID eased yeah. enough over there? Yeah. And kind of right when I got out here last December, I kind of started. Um, I mean, it's great. I I like it a lot. 
the only, the only thing that is not as good as the weather, but you know, other than that, it's like, it's easy to get everywhere here for the most part. Traffic in LA is pretty brutal. It takes at least half an hour to get anywhere, probably closer to an hour during rush hour. Um, it's great out here. People are super nice. The community is is small. You see faces, people that you met before out um, kind of frequently. And so I'm, I'm really liking it. The weather has been a tough, a tough part though. Just, just the, the winter, you know, overcast. Yeah. That's it. It takes a bit of a bit of getting used to after being out in California for so long. It does. It does. And the cold doesn't really bother me that much as, as, as just the kind of dreariness does. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I don't think you got a lot of that over there in Ireland, right? Yeah, we get, I'd say, probably one to maybe two days of sunshine during our summer. If we're lucky, you know, during your summer. Yeah, we'll get. uh, Well, realistically, we get probably a week of summer and that's it. But that would probably be like 20 degrees Celsius is how hot it would get over here. And the rest of the time it's overcast and rainy and like at the moment, does it clear up during the winter? You might see a hint of a blue sky at some stage, but yeah. uh, our winters are basically just dreary, wet, and miserable. Like at the moment, there's a an orange warning out for rain, which means there's going to be floods for the next three days, and it is uh, howling and raining now outside the window. Wow, yeah, Man, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, <laughs> Ireland's a, a lovely, beautiful country, but we don't have the weather, you know. Right. When you say Southern Ireland, are you what? What like what actual part are you close to Dublin? Uh, I'm in Waterford, so I'm originally from Wexford, but I'm living in Waterford now. It's right down at the south. It's about I think it's just over an hour away from Dublin. Okay. Yeah, you, we were talking before we start recording. You said you were in Ireland before as well in the past, weren't mm-hmm. you? What part did you? I uh, was. What part did you yeah. say you were in? Well, we started off in Belfast and then went down to Dublin and then went out to Rock Chapel, which mm-hmm. is where my I think great grandpa and great grandma lived in Rock Chapel um, before they came over to the United States. And, uh, I think the story goes that my great grandpa was working on his farm and he heard that, um, British soldiers were coming to conscript, uh, you know, Irish men of fighting age (laughs) into the army to go fight with them in world war one. I think at that point, um, it was either world war, yeah, no, it was world war one. And, you know, the Irish, like the local Irish people didn't like the British, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't even know if it was, they were called the British. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't like, there was, you know, conflict cause it was Catholics versus Protestants and, you know, Britain was like, you know, asserting themselves over Ireland. So anyways, my grandpa didn't want to fight um, for them. So he, and I think a lot of other people too, just packed up everything they had and went to the coast and hopped on a ship and came to Boston <laughs> 
And so Probably a, a very smart decision. He uh, he must have just missed out on the the civil war and the war of independence as well by a few years. So he definitely made so. the right choice. What when was that? When did that happen? Um, I think it was nineteen sixteen. It started. We got our independence. I could be wrong. I think it was nineteen twenty one, and then the civil yeah. war was just after it. Wow. Okay. And that was with with Britain, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Was it a was it a big, big serious war that went down? It was, it really was. It, um there was fighting all over the whole country. And uh-huh. we have a there's like every war has its hero. We had a guy called General Michael Collins. He formed a squad into like he taught them guerrilla tactics. He actually invented yeah. guerrilla warfare over here. And it was kind of viewed as terrorism at that stage because he'd ambush soldiers and he wasn't like they weren't a, an army at this stage himself so mm-hmm. he'd ambush the british soldiers run up attack them and hide in the mountains eventually then he won the independence but there was a i didn't realize this was actually going to turn into an irish history lesson <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah, he won the independence, but there was a caveat. They wouldn't give back the full country, so they kept six counties up the north. Mm. And uh, that led to the Civil War. So the the army, the government that formed after the War of Independence, split in two then and began fun- fighting amongst themselves. So, right. And that kind of waged on until the 70s and 80s. There was always troubles up in the north of the country and attacks stuff like that and we still don't have them countries back but maybe someday but i'm kind of of the opinion now that if both sides can be happy do we really need them back you know if people are up there and they're happy living under british rule let them be happy you know what is the main like difference now between living under Irish rule and living in British rule, like actually what, what difference would that have in your daily life? If you're, you know, an Irish Catholic from Ireland living in Northern Ireland. Um, I'm not too sure what it's like now, but mm-hmm. up until the eighties and nineties, it would have been quite dangerous. You know, there was, mm. uh, there's stories of there'd be roadblocks and you'd be stopped and you'd be asked your religion. If you gave the mm. wrong answer, you could be shot or kidnapped. You know? Wow. Obviously, wow. it doesn't happen nowadays, but uh, that's only like 20, 30 years ago, if you think about it. I know. <laughs> it's yeah. really not that long ago at all. No, no. But I think wow. it's getting more relaxed up there. You know, it's. Um, I've been up to the north, and one thing I can say is that they actually have better infrastructure than we have down here. And it seems I'd probably be killed for saying this down here now but it actually seems like it's better run our government seem like they just don't know what they're doing you know mm. so i suppose there's arguments for both sides of it yeah ah, interesting yeah yeah i hope you That's uh cool. you and the listeners find that li- that uh little history lesson interesting anyway <laughs> <laughs> i for sure did i love learning about ireland and england and places that my ancestors came from yeah yeah it's uh it's fascinating it's always interesting to learn about the history of different cultures yeah but um back to you back to your your (laughs) music um so when did you first start to 
perform, you know, and start? Did you pick up a guitar at a certain age or was it was that the go to instrument for you or how did how did you get into it? Yeah, my mom put us in guitar lessons when we were like in fourth grade or so. And I originally wanted to play drums, um, but she didn't want to have that noise in the house, basically. (laughs) So she put us in guitar lessons and yeah, I think it was fourth grade or so. And we started playing, it was an acoustic guitar to start off with. And then I think I got an electric guitar like a few years later Mm. and started getting in the, the rock stuff a lot more. Yeah, I find that when you're learning guitar, that's what really excites you. It's like for me, when I was learning guitar, it was like that. I had to learn acoustic first, but I had the mindset of I'm only learning the acoustic so that I can play the electric. You know, that's all I cared yeah. about, plugging it in and having that. As I got older, yeah. obviously, I uh, I learned to appreciate the acoustic as well. You know? Yeah. What about yourself? Was this a similar thing at a younger age? Yeah. I think so. And then once I got to call or once I got to high school, I kind of was got a lot more into playing acoustic. Um, and I think it might've just been because of the nature of being in high school where it's, it's easy to, to bring an acoustic guitar and play it and, you know, electric guitar, you need an amp. Mm. Um, but I got into like, you know, artists like John Mayer and Dave Matthews, um, singer songwriters you know really good storytellers that were playing really cool things on guitar and singing over it um and that's kind of when i started writing myself Mm. and trying to trying to copy these guys and trying to like do what they did basically yeah did you find it easy to start writing or was it something you kind of had to force yourself to do or something you had to work at or did it just come naturally to you at first I think it came pretty naturally, honestly. Um, I guess I'd always like English was a strong subject of mine in, in school. I was kind of more into like the humanities mm. than I was the sciences. Um, and there were a lot of really good English classes at the school that I went to. And, you know, we did poetry and, and all that stuff. And so that I think helped with lyric writing and, and I, uh, by that point I'd, I'd listened to so much music in my life and so mm. many different types of stuff that I think at a certain point, like what you write is just an output of what you've taken in, in the past. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a cool mixture of all that, that you have to put your own spin on and do something unique about it. And yeah, that's kind of how that, I would say it was pretty, it was pretty, it came pretty naturally to me early on. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, would you come up with the melody first or is that the lyrics first for you? I think melody first, music first, chords and, and music and melody first. And then I try to fit the lyrics to the melody because mm. you want to get the syllables and everything, the right length and it all needs to fit, you know, it's kind of like a puzzle. Mm. And for me, the melody, the music is what people hear first. And it's kind of what I, what I gravitate to first. And, and then the lyrics, Yeah, you start paying attention to once you've been brought into the music. And so I think for me, the melody is 
comes first and then it's like okay let's fit the story the lyrics to this music that we have yeah yeah, yeah. and uh it's probably a, an impossible question now but how do you know when you're done with a song how do you know when you can mm. just close the chapter on that song and say right it's ready it's tough to say because sometimes i'll think that i'm not done with the song but i'll have stand-in lyrics and then the more that i play it the more i get okay with with what it is yeah um i don't know there's not a really a great way of telling because you can always make try to make something better but it's not about being perfect it's not about like having this shining you know, pinnacle of whatever. It's just about making something that's like real and true. So as long as it makes sense and it fits and it create and it's and it's art, I think it's good. And but I have a good like internal meter about when I think things are finished or whether they need to be worked on and improved because they're just not there yet. Yeah, yeah, I get you. I get you. Mm-hmm. Here's a speaking of songwriting. Here's just a random question for you: Would you rather write a song that influences hundreds of other musicians, or would you rather write a song that sells, say, five hundred thousand copies? Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd like to do both. <laughs> right now. I mean, the goal is to do both in the same, in the same thing, you know, Mm. the goal is to have a song that is influences people musically and is musically acclaimed, but also reaches a lot of people. So I can't really pick between the two (laughs) because they're both great. They're both good things and getting either of them on any song would be great. Mm. You know, right now I could use some money. So maybe <laughs> 500,000 people won. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> we'll come back in about 10 years now and we'll ask you the same questions. Yeah. What your answer is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We can do a side by side comparison. <laughs> so um, the very first gig you played then, what would that have been? If you can remember. Um, I think it was a middle, it was like a, an elementary school um recital and i i remember i was in a band with my friend and the guitar teacher of the school he played with us in this in the show we played sunshine of your love by eric clapton or cream oh, wow. i should say yeah I don't, I don't know how good it was <laughs> <laughs> probably wasn't very good honestly but yeah that's the first the first one we did that uh how did you feel about having to get up in front of the school and play a song like that i think it was nerve-wracking back then i think it was but also there were other kids doing it you know it was Mm. kind of a a lot of you know everybody was participating so yeah but yeah definitely nerves for sure (laughs) oh i could imagine i could imagine we'll uh we'll Flip the coin. So um, what was the very last concert you've played? Well, I've been the past couple months, I've been out on the road, basically going to parking lots of really big stadium concerts and playing to people in the parking lots. And 
really? handing out cards and building email lists and doing that whole thing. Um, so the last time I did that was in Charlotte a week ago. There's a Zach Brown band show out there and I was playing in the parking lots out there. I don't know if you call it a concert. Um, I played a concert this past summer in New Hampshire. Um, that was great. Mm. Uh, with my full band so that was probably the last legitimate concert but yeah i've got i've got a couple shows coming up actually in california i've got one in san francisco and then one in la in early december yeah um, we're playing this place called brick and mortar and then we're playing this place in la called the viper room which johnny depp used to own i've heard um, of it. <laughs> river phoenix and everything that story yeah yeah that's uh yeah, that's he, fairly legendary I know. And, and I didn't really even know that much about it until a couple of years ago, I think. Really? Um, I love the club though. I've, I've only been there once, but it's a great, it's got a great, really cool feel in it. And I love rock and roll. I love rock history. So I like, you know, those Los Angeles clubs that still have that mm. character to it. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, some legendary bands have played there. That will be some show. Imagine like, yeah. Seriously, though, you're getting to play there. That's that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank uh, you so much. Jeez. And then <laughs> I could imagine, would you be, do you think you'll be more nervous that night now compared to other gigs just because of where it Honestly, is? Honestly, I don't think so because I've just been playing so much recently that mm. I haven't really even been getting nervous. and. I, you know, it, it's, it's muscle memory at this point, playing the songs and performing. Okay. Um, so no, I, I, I don't think so. I, mean, yeah. I don't foresee that I'm going to be nervous. Um, and we actually played at the Troubadour just before um, the pandemic happened, which is a slightly bigger club in Los Angeles right there on, um, I think it's West Hollywood Boulevard. Um and I wasn't even that nervous for that. I think it's just that at a certain point, the more you play, the less each individual gig is this massive thing. You know, yeah. it's, it's just another gig to do what you do. And it just yeah. becomes second nature to you, I imagine. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. And you don't care as much about what people think and what people in the audience are, are thinking about. You mm. kind of just do your thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. On the topic of legendary clubs, I have to ask, have you ever been to the Whiskey? I have been in there for a show, yeah. I saw a show there. Uh, my friend was playing in a band that was playing there. Oh, that's a That's a very cool spot. Yeah, that's, that's a very cool spot. That's on my list now. When I get over to the States, that's going to be one of the first places I want to go. It's, I've always had a weird fascination with it. I've uh, I. I love the doors and bands from that era. And when I was growing up, I read a lot of books on the doors and rock and roll and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. just, they all played the whiskey or they all mentioned the whiskey. It seemed almost like a Mecca for rock music during them, them times. So Absolutely. It's like my number one spot now, you know, the minute I step off the plane, I'll be heading straight there, getting in line and going inside. I hope I'm yeah. not disappointed. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of other clubs right around there too. There's the Roxy, the Troubadours close by Viper room is on that same street. 
like he probably walked the Viper room from the whiskey and rock in the Roxy. Um, it's cool. There's so much, and I'm right in that because Guns N' Roses played all those clubs coming up. So I'm yeah. the same as you. Like, you know, I've been hearing <laughs> about these clubs for forever. And Elton John like played Troubadour and all the singer songwriters from the 70s played Troubadour yeah. when they were coming up. There's a lot of history, and it's really cool to play a venue like that. You just feel, I don't know, it feels like a moment in time. Mm. It feels like you're you're experiencing something that that just has yeah there's legend there's it's just a legendary place but it also feels like when you're playing there it's a moment in time you know and that you're kind of contributing to it yeah yeah i could imagine the troubadour was that the place that um david geffen used to hang out and pick up the uh the singer songwriters that he got signed he might have i think so Yeah. yeah Yeah, I remember reading uh, that was like his uh, personal playing ground. It was like he discovered it and no one else in the music industry knew about it or even went there. And it was like a gold mine for him. He found, I think, um, Crosby, Stills and Nash, maybe, and a mm. couple of other ones that had played there or were playing during the time. He couldn't believe his luck. So uh, that would have been yeah. amazing to see it back then during them times. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. So um the best concert experience or gig experience you've ever had, what would that have been? Um we played a gig in San Francisco a few months before the pandemic hit. So it would have been two years ago. Uh that was awesome. It wasn't even that big of a club. It was probably like a hundred capacity club, but the place was just full with people and the vibe was just the energy was just super high. People were singing the lyrics to my songs um, back to us. And uh, it was incredible. It felt like a moment, a little moment in time, special moment in time for us. So that was, uh, that's right up there. You know, there've been a lot of great shows though. Yeah. Tough to pick out. I was just going to say at this stage, it must be hard to single out one in particular. Yeah. I mean, we, my band and I, we kind of started doing these shows, you know, kind of in college and right after, and every show brings something new mm-hmm. and it's just cool to like have a room full of people just like having time of their lives, basically. And you're yeah. on stage kind of conducting that <laughs> whole orchestra <laughs> and it kind of makes me think that like this, I love that size. Like I would rather have a venue that's full of people, like a 250 cap venue full of people than like a 2000 cap venue that is not as full and not as enthusiastic about what's going on. And, you know, there's just something about that. And for a long time, I, you know, it's hard not to get, caught in thinking about like the future and like, where's this going? And, Oh, I want to do that. I want to play there. I want to have a fan base where I can play, you know, shows with a thousand people and get bigger and bigger and bigger. But I feel like I always have to, you have to remind yourself that these are the shows that I'm doing now and the 200 capacity clubs and 300 capacity clubs that like, hopefully one day people will talk about Mm. or that, for me, I'll look back on them and be like, those were the coolest shows I ever did because they're in these cool little dingy places where 
nobody cares, you know, people are just there for the music, people are just vibing out, everybody's having a good time. And um, I don't know, it's, I'm trying to get myself to to love it more and more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would you say that these are the gigs that will make you as a musician? You know, when you look back on years to come? I think so. I definitely think so. I think it's where you learn how to perform and how to interact with a crowd and, and how to be responsible for an entire crowd, like looking at you and, and wanting to be led by you basically. Um, Cause if you can't do it for a room of 200 people, how are you going to do it for a crowd of 3000 people? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just, it's a lot more intimate and, but it's, it's great because it's such immediate feedback. You can see everybody's facial expressions. You can feel the energy in the room. You can completely get a vibe for how well you're doing it and what kind of show you're putting on. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it, more and more I've been, I've been, and I think the pandemic really slowed me down and made me realize like, no, you have to enjoy this stuff. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is great. You know, don't always try to, try to be onto the next thing and onto the bigger show and bigger stage. Like these are the shows that, yeah, that people are going to talk about and that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. You need to really live in the moment. So yeah. You mentioned uh, about playing in car parks then that uh, I don't know if it's a term over there, but we'd call that busking. Have you ever yeah. heard? Yeah. How would you, uh, how do you feel? about that towards the gigs then um i like it you know it's something that i've done just because i felt like i needed to meet a lot more people and make it a lot of new fans um and it's a really good way to just get face to face with people that you never met before basically mm-hmm. and who also are interested in the same music that you do because i'm going to concerts of artists that are similar to me so if they're hanging out in the parking lot tailgating before they're likely to enjoy what I do and what I can bring to yeah. the table. Um, it's great. It's, it's tough to do. I'm kind of shifting away from it because I, how I, it's hard to make a lot of money doing that. Hmm. And I'm also not asking for money. Um, you know, handing out cards and getting email sign up. So it's not a, Hey, tip me type thing. It's like, yeah. Hey, go listen to my stuff. I was just going to say, that's actually a really smart idea. It's almost like cheating. You know, you're playing in the in the parking lot of a concert yeah. that's similar music compared to, you know, standing in the middle of the street anywhere playing, you know, and people aren't necessarily coming to see you or putting much pass on you if they're not into your music, you know? Yeah. And I've, and I've done that before. I've played, you know, with a little cube amplifier you know, in, in the Santa Monica promenade, like as people walked by and they kind of just, even if you're good, you know, they're just kind of like, Oh, okay. You know, cool. Keep walking, maybe give you a tip, but you don't really get that much engagement from it. Yeah. Whereas if I walk around and in with my acoustic guitar and walk up to people in the parking lots, hanging out, drinking beer and say, Hey, can I play for you guys? That's a personal experience that you have with somebody. Yeah, that I think can can really create a fan, which is you know the goal. Yeah, it actually would. I'm just thinking about if I was standing in line for a concert or waiting to go in, and 
a singer came up and asked, could they play? You know, I yeah. instantly, I'm a, I'm open to being a fan anyway. You know, I'm open to listening. Yeah. The fact that you're taking that time to come up and ask, can you play? You know, that would really yeah. mean a lot, you know? It's, uh, yeah. It's very impressive. that, And it's, uh, would lots of musicians over there do that or is not this, really really it's not really a big thing now jeez well you're uh you're definitely after i can edit that bit out now if you don't want anyone else to hear your secret <laughs> <laughs> no you can keep it in there it's not even really my secret um i mean there is a there is a guy that did it a lot this kid named alec benjamin he's like a singer songwriter he did a lot and i kind of got the idea from him a little bit i, I was aware that he was doing it um but he's kind of the only guy that I can think of that really did that on a large scale. Um, but no, put it out there. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for gi- giving the, the knowledge out to anybody that wants to use it. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. At this yeah. stage, we'll, um, we'll move on to the, the final few questions. And this is sure. more to get a taste of your music tastes, mm-hmm. your personal music tastes. Mm-hmm. So um, if you could... Uh, see any performer from history for one mm. night only in concert who would you pick bruce springsteen i like the quick response yeah <laughs> no question about it well i was thinking when you were saying it and, and i was like yeah springsteen you've surely yeah. probably seen him in concert already have you i haven't actually really? i haven't <laughs> yeah i don't know i just i I started really getting into his stuff like a few years ago. And so obviously nothing's happened since pandemic. Um, but I would love to, he's getting a little bit older now. I think he's 70. So I definitely would want to see him soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. He's a, I have a list as long as my arm now of musicians that I want to see that I haven't yet. He's on it. And I think he's coming to Ireland in 2022. So I'm definitely going to try to get tickets. But as you said, he is getting older. So, but at the same time, he's, I don't know how he's able to do it, but he has the energy of like a 20 year old when he's playing on stage. It's it's amazing to see. It's so cool. It's so inspiring. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) definitely. Well, Hopefully in 2022, we'll both get the, the chance to see. Yeah. Him. Yeah. Um, if you could, this is an odd one now I've been told, but if you could spend 24 hours in a room with any performer from history, who would you pick? Oh man. All time. Uh, that's really tough. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, John Mayer is one of my favorites. Billy Joel. Um, Elton, maybe. Okay. Okay. Stevie Wonder. I don't know. I feel like I know these, there's so much footage of them on YouTube and like everywhere now that I almost feel like I know kind of what they're like. Yeah. Just from watching so much of, of videos of them, you know? Yeah, that's the thing nowadays. Everyone seems so accessible. You know, you feel like you really know them when you haven't even met them, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, um, like a complete flip around from, you know, 40 years ago when they weren't as accessible and you'd only know what you read in the newspapers. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Do you think it's um for the better or it's 
worse? That aspect, I don't know. I think it's maybe kind of neutral. It depends how the artist is. Because yeah. you can still, you know, keep low profile and do your thing and not be in the public eye that much, not post on social media that often if you wanted to. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's a tough one. A tough one. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. From the fans' point of view, obviously, it's great that they're so accessible. But I'm sure for the musician, it can be a bit, yeah, invasive. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. probably. We'll move on to the next question. So, if you could uh, pick any song that would appear on the soundtrack to your life, what would it be? Of somebody else's songs, or some or one of mine? We'll pick one of both. I'll go easy <laughs> on you. <laughs> pick one of both. Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen is one of my favorite songs okay. of all time. Um, so that would be on there. And then of mine, uh, I've got a new song coming out in a few weeks called Let Them Boys Play that I think is pretty fun and, and pretty, pretty popping. So we'll go with that. Perfect way to plug it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Speaking of your next song, uh, what's in the future? What's what's coming down the line for you? So, yeah, I have this double release coming out on November 11th. Uh, Let Them Boys Play in Good Company. Um, and I, then it's going to be two months, and I think I might put out another single two months down the road. Um, and then have this full record so the idea was late spring for the full record but it could be summer you know early summer june maybe may or june um i don't know i really don't know you know i want it to get out there i want people to hear it so yeah you know, it's trying to figure out what the best way to do that is yeah yeah well yeah. i personally can't wait to hear it i've uh since Thank i've you. been introduced to your music i'm definitely after becoming a fan Oh, sweet, man. You're going to like it. You're going to really? like it. Yeah, I think you're going to really like it if you've liked this stuff so far. I think it's a step up. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. I can't yeah. wait to hear it. So, And um, the your latest release is going to play us out now this evening. Would you like to tell sweet. us a bit about it? Uh, sure. It's It's just about chasing a dream and having to be by yourself sometimes in order to do that and um yeah for me it's traveling around and playing music and chasing this dream of being a professional musician and it being hard i have a girlfriend but it's hard because i'm on the road you know so often and yeah. it's this question of like the reason I play music is to be closer to other people and to create community and, and feel love. But if, if the way that I have to, you know, spread music around is by being away all the time that I can't experience that as much, you know, over here, it's kind of this paradox between the two. And so like the chorus says, um, my dreams are driving me into the ground and the only way I see that I can get out is to be alone for now. Mm. So it's like my dreams are driving me into the ground because I have to be by myself to go and do them. 
but also the only way that I can figure out how to get out of this and how to like make it as a musician and make the dreams come true is to go do that is to be by myself and keep doubling down on it. So it's this weird paradox thing, but yeah, that's, that's what the song's about. That's very interesting though, the way you put it. It's um like you're giving love to other people through your music, but you're not leaving enough time for yourself to receive love. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. definitely something you'll have to work on in the future. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, David, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as well. Thank you. Thank you for all the questions. I love I love the Irish history. Well, I've been traveling across these states looking for the people who will sing my melody. This pavement pounding Stop and go It seems The gold that I'm seeking's always further up the road And break this bubble You can't drive But you might run from what's inside Oh Cause my world's been upside down And any other time, any other place It's usually not much in my way But my dreams are driving me into the ground And the only way I see that I can get out Is to be alone for now
Forgive me cause my world's been upside down But any other time, any other place It's usually not much in my way But my dreams are driving me into the ground And the only way I see that I can get out Is to be alone for now Alone for now Alone for now Alone, alone for now Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this show. If you did, rate and review us on iTunes. Really helps the show grow. You can find us on social media at Concerts That Made Us Podcast. And be sure to check out our website at www.concertsthatmadeus.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by signing up at patreon.com forward slash concerts that made us. We've got three tiers available. If that's something you're interested in, you'll get access to a private Discord, exclusive uncut video versions of the podcast, early access to ad-free versions of the episodes, and much, much more. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey. Hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here.